welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar interview leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar. All right, in this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I chat with Todd Olson, the founder and CEO of Pendo. So Pendo is a product engagement and analytics platform that helps companies create richer customer experiences. So the best way to think of it is as an analytics platform, like an amplitude or a mix panel. So hopefully everyone's using something like that to understand customer behavior, but they also combine the ability to integrate things like product and feature tours and surveys and just other, other functionality that helps companies better engage their customers. So it's particularly useful for say product-led growth companies or, or companies that really have that, that test-learn process where they're trying to improve engagement and outcomes for their customers. So Ethan, what, what jumped out at you from this conversation? Yes, yeah, I mean, I got super excited just about Todd's sort of philosophy and approach around growth and product. I thought that made for a really good discussion between the three of us, which is always where we have the most fun. So, you know, he sees this deep connection between culture, data, experimentation, and technology. And I think that's not only driving Pendo's rampant growth, but it's also helping their customers, you know, achieve valuable outcomes. So there was one point where Todd was saying teams often celebrate when the product ships, but that they should be celebrating when the outcome is achieved. And that's really too, you know, premature. And I think that's the culture you you want to build in an organization. So when you think about AI and these shiny objects we have around us today, which we're both excited about, it was just a good reminder that culture, culture and customer experience should really drive the technology, not the other way around. Yeah. It's actually a, a theme that I touch on in a presentation that I have coming up next week, um, or actually probably next month in, in October uh, at a conference called Product Drive. It's available online. I believe it's free. So you might want to check that out. But um, yeah, Definitely. I love what Todd emphasized. Uh, Pendo offers a lot of tools for product and growth teams. And his take on how those worlds are converging was was super useful. Um, he sees a future where every PM is thinking about growth. And I really agree. You know, coming off our episode with uh, Molo Co um, a few weeks ago, it was great to get another take on the impact of AI on growth. Todd says that the market isn't just receptive to AI, it's actually demanding it. Uh, but it sounds like Pendo has a lot of discipline around bringing their customers into the conversation around how to use these technologies. Yeah, they seem really intentional around how to how to make that happen and how to how to make it really effective. So, you know, you can tell that there are companies that are just like bolting AI on for AI's sake. And, uh, you know, then there are companies that are bringing AI on board to actually drive specific results. And I think these last two conversations have really shown that. And I know who I would bet on. Um, you know, I just keep going back to your point uh, earlier about, you know, the changing dynamics between growth and product. You and I have always talked about the importance of everyone understanding their impact on the business. But as machine learning and data become more and more ubiquitous, it's just going to get harder for anyone to look at growth as, you know, someone else's job. So, so when Todd says, you know, any, with anything you ship, you should be thinking about growth. I think A, uh, that's true. I agree wholeheartedly. And B, uh, it means you, uh, whoever you might be. Right, right. Yeah, really you. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, the access and availability to data 
just as we look at it over the last few decades, has just had like enormous impact on the the culture of startups and and bigger companies as as we move on. But AI is really raising the stakes again. So we need to embrace it and use it to create even better customer experiences. Yeah, I mean, beyond the hype, you know, it is super exciting, and there's you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just it's great. But um, you know, this is a, this was a really fun discussion. I know we we say that often, but I think we're we're um, we're lucky enough to get really. This good. time is actually true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're we're very lucky to get really good quality guests um, who who bring a lot and share a lot. So uh, yeah, there's a lot more in here that I think our listeners are going to enjoy. So uh, we should probably jump into it. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so we're super excited to have you. I'm also joined by my co-host, Ethan Gar. Hey, Ethan. Hey, Sean. Hey, Todd. Good to be here with both of you. Yeah, yeah they, we, we were just doing a, a little conversation before, and uh, I, as I sat and enjoyed the very mellow uh, West Coast, Southern California weather, uh, both these guys are on the East Coast, and i a little bit of a little bit of excitement on the East Coast with with storms. <laughs> so, that is correct. Yeah, we're we're uh, recording early on a Monday, so hopefully, hopefully, um, we don't have any storms. that are going to knock you guys off as we uh, as we get get going here. It's looking good right now. <laughs> awesome. So um, I want to want to dig in and and learn some about Pendo. But you know, one of the things that as I dug into Pendo and I've heard the name a lot. I haven't really uh, used it and experienced it, but um, it just seemed to really resonate with with things that matter to Ethan and me. And and that's really about kind of uh, using technology to connect with customers and and give you know better experiences to those customers. So um, I'm probably not necessarily highlighting the the, the key benefits of ben, Pendo, but maybe if you can kind of talk about. Uh, how Pendo does that, and if there's some other kind of key benefits that Pendo delivers, and anything else about the company that would be helpful for us to get some context here. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Um, yeah, so look, if you step back, yeah, as you said, our, our focus or our mission is focusing on proving the experience in software. And, and the how, how we do that, really starts probably at its core with data and analytics. So we uh, install ourselves within applications, and it can be really any sort of software application, and we collect all the user interaction. That's every click. That's every page load. That's how they traverse through applications. And um, by doing that, we're then able to stitch together and give a really accurate view of like what's happening within your applications. Everything from who's using it, how often they're using it, what areas they're using, like in pretty granular form to what do journeys look like, what do paths through the application look like, um, et cetera. But then we complement that analytics with the ability to drive um messaging on top and that messaging can do everything from essentially think of it as driving behavior based on learnings or insights so for example if you um observe that people are struggling to onboard when they first come into your app you can message users and help guide them to getting to those aha moments faster or maybe you see users struggling to complete certain workflows within your application you can then message those user to kind of smooth out those user interfaces to help them set better self-service within the app. So, so there's this combination. And then we've also continued to expand the platform. And within those messages, you can also pull for qualitative information, everything from what people think, like things like NPS or CSAT to feature requests. So the vision is, look, if you 
have a sense for what people are doing, what people think and want in your app. You have a 360 degree view of your product, so to speak. And then based on all that data, you can drive behavior. Um, that's a great way to affect the ultimate experience of that application. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like it uh, is is kind of the holy grail that if you yeah if you can both understand and and improve experiences that's that's going to be highly impactful. I'm I'm curious does it sit does it kind of sit alongside analytics tools like a mixed panel or a amplitude or does it replace them? How how does it kind of work ecosystem wise? Yeah, I think we, we do sit next to solutions like those at times, but we also you know, often are the analytics provider for a lot of companies as well. So I, I think probably more often than not, you know, you, you would see us um, probably be that provider. But but yeah, there's times when we coexist as well. Cool. And then and uh, I know, Ethan, you're about to fire off on a question here, but uh, <laughs> the, the benefit of video is you can, you can see people take that deep breath. But um, I just uh, also wanted to touch on kind of like company size. And I did see you're, you're based in North Carolina, which uh, is kind of an interesting, especially, you know, serving, serving kind of the, the, the SaaS and, and, and uh, just tech space in general. I'm curious how, how uh, location kind of impacts the, the business and then also just, yeah, company size would be helpful as well. Yeah, we're roughly 750 employees. We've been around for just under 10 years. Um, we, um, yeah, are headquartered in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and um, I mean, look, I mean, a lot of our companies are in California. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, we're an international business, so we do have companies and customers all over the world. But, uh, and we, we do have um, other offices in the U.S., of which the Bay Area, of course, is an office. And it's where we have an office in downtown San Francisco. But yeah, I, I actually, look, I, I think at our size and scale, I think the, the being in North Carolina really hasn't had much of an impact. Yeah, yeah. Something worked. <laughs> raising capital was, you could argue, was, was more challenging when we were a small Series A startup. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've raised $350 million now. We're, we're um, it's probably, you know, People, people know who we are, so so I, I, it hasn't really been a big issue recently. So I was looking at uh, you and your co-founders. It looks like uh, some interesting backgrounds between like Google, Cisco, Red Hat. Um, I'm probably missing a bunch of others, but um, just on the surface, that sounds like you know it sounds like you guys were very data oriented in your in where you came from. So I'm curious when you you know it's the business is both analytics and product engagement, you know, and you seem to be nailing both of those, but uh, is it fair to say you started more on the data side and then moved into the in product, or was it this was the vision from the beginning? Yeah. So interestingly, this was the vision from the beginning, and, and it was really informed by my prior startup. So the startup prior to Pendo was a developer analytics solution. So it was all about helping development teams get more insight into how developers are developing, and it was more in the vein of like project management and productivity, et cetera, and. One of the most common questions I got running an analytics company before is, what action do you take? Okay, great. You give me all this data, but what do you do with it, right? So when I started Pendo, this was very much front and center in my mind. And and we we knew we wanted to solve a a big part of this um, analytics problem because I had been a head of product and um, I... Uh, had a homegrown analytics solution that was constantly out of date and sort of problematic, but it was really like like insightful for like pricing and packaging. Should I continue building this thing? Or, hey, this thing I just shipped, are people actually using it or not? And so I found it really, really valuable. 
But I knew I needed to answer this question of like, okay, what do I do with it? So for example, if I'm a product manager and I ship something and no one's using it, what do I do? You know, and it could be, it could be that um, it's not good, that doesn't work, that's possible. But it also could be that people like don't know it exists. You know, I, I think uh, we live in a world where every night we go to bed and we wake up and like four or five apps on our mobile phones have updated, like, and they're under like release notes or there's no, you know, this big splashy thing that say, hey, we updated blah, blah, blah app last night. Like this happens all the time. Um, and so the way in which we consume software updates has completely changed. So when I started my career where I literally would get a CD sent to me in the mail and I would, you know, go through an update, you know, that, that's where I started my career. Um, now you have to think differently about it. So awareness could be the reason your feature isn't, isn't, um, actually being used, um, or it could just be habits. You know, like how often do you log into an app and you do the same thing every single day? You're not seeking change. People don't seek change in general, I don't think. Um, um, but but so so I guess if I'm if I step back and, and I'm trying to answer this question of like, okay, why is I, I invested all the time, I built this thing, I shipped it, no one's using it. You need more to your solution than just analytics to help answer that question. And that's really why this vision has been broader since day one, is like I'm I'm trying to solve the experience problem, not an analytics problem, because the experience is what ultimately matters to customers. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, I think we'll dig deeper as we go, but I think that's always the question is, you know, you can over index on, on the data side and sort of lose the thread with the people on the other end and what they're actually doing. Um, but I, it seems to me like, um, uh, when you can, by connecting these two things together directly, you give people a much, you know, product managers and growth people a much better chance of figuring out like, as you said, like, what do people want to do with this as opposed to what are they doing with it? Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting stuff. So, um, yeah, I think you, you gave us a little bit of the, the background here, but do you want to tell us a little bit more about your story and how you came, how Pendo came about and why, uh, you know, where, you know, how you got from point A to point B, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And touch on a little bit, but yeah. So, so prior to starting Pendo, uh, and you go back. So I'm a kind of career technologist. I started, um, programming professionally at the age of 14. So, so I've been developing software for a very, very long time. Uh, this is my third venture funded startup. Um, one was a dot-com bubble startup. Um, we won't go into oh, that. Oh, we did that. <laughs> um, a lot. And then the second one was an analytics company. It was actually my first cloud company. Um, we built sort of a data warehouse in the cloud for developers. Um, ended up selling that business to a company called Rally Software, which did sort of agile project management at scale. Um, ultimately, I led product at, at Rally Software. And that's where, as a SaaS business, I started getting really, um, um, really more knowledgeable in, in like how to think about, you know, measuring the effectiveness of product management. And, and, and all too often, especially in B2B products, we listen to the loudest voices in the room. Maybe it's a sales uh, leader that says, oh yeah, you know, customers really want this or customers are really doing this, but, but um, it's pretty healthy to, to validate this, you know, to actually either talk to the customers yourself or measure it to get a true sense of, of what's going on. Especially when you have a very large product where you could develop lots of things, you have to be really smart and judicious of really you, where you invest that time. That's one piece. The second piece is I sort of touched on is, is in a cloud world, like how we update software has changed, you know, 
a lot. So, so again, in the start of my career, we, we would ship CDs, but now with, with cloud computing and agile t- development techniques, you know, um, you know, I, I saw worlds where, you know, like Salesforce ships twice a year, they had two major releases. My last company did quarterly releases, but then we eventually evolved to weekly releases and sometimes shipping daily. Um, so, so when, when you're in this world, I get calls from large customers all the time, like, whoa, you just changed the entire user interface on my team. Please don't do that again without warning me well in advance. So, so you realize like, well, none of us want to slow our engineering teams down. Like innovation speed is like the name of the game in tech. We have to balance it with how people consume change. Um, and, you know, you think about even the, the great consumer examples, like when Facebook like released the timeline and freaked people out. I know that may be dating me, but that was years ago when they released this timeline view and like freaked people out. You know, it was like a brand new way of thinking about that, that user experience. Um, like we have to evolve the way we communicate and the way people, you know, uh, again, consume these features. So, so I kind of, I saw all these problems in my head and and, and I experimented with some of them. So I, we had homegrown analytics solutions in my prior company. We would do in-app messages, but with developers from hand, you know, you know, like coding it. Um, but the challenge was we never knew if someone saw these messages. They weren't connected to analytics. So I conceived of a platform like, wow, if you connect these things together, you have so much power. Because now I can target people based on their behavior. I, I like For example, if you're a novice user, I could give you a... Um, an experience that teaches you how to use the software while you're using it. But if you're a power user, I can get out of your way and just let you go do what you normally do. Right. So I always thought that the future of software was some level of personalization. And I think we're going to get to it later, but I, I think the AI is going to play a really interesting role in this. And, and I think, you know, if you think about Pendo's journey, you know, I think a lot of the first years of our, our history have been building a lot of these core foundational technologies and we're in tons of applications and we have lots of data. But if you look to the future, there's still this, this, this future potential of personalization, of hyper-personalization. That's super interesting to me. That's actually where I wanted to go next. You know, we've really seen, I mean, I would say in the last 10 years or so, um, data science and machine learning have really started to become uh, materially, materially relevant to uh, product development and growth. Now, I mean, generative AI is, you know, it's, it's, it's all, the, all the rage. It's the hype um, today. But I, I'm curious how, have you been a machine learning data science company kind of from day one? And is AI changing that today, uh, d- dramatically and specifically, or is it um, is it just sort of a slow evolution for you? Um, so I wouldn't say day one, to be quite candid. Um, I mean, day one in the sense that we hadn't been actively investing in it since day one. I think we always knew we always knew that we would have to, and we would as part of our future. Um, and and to that end, a few years ago, we started building up um, in machine learning AI. Uh, set of capability, like think of it as like a, a technology uh, hub within our Israeli office. So we have an office in Israel. We started, we hired a, a leader for that team, PhD. She started hiring a number of like data scientists underneath and has like honestly a very, very strong team in Israel doing a lot of um, the the innovation. And, and yeah, we, we always knew that that product data and product usage data would be a really good leading indicator, early indicator of, um, 
of um, f- future results. So, for example, like we all know things like, you know, let's look at product-led growth and let's look at things like uh, conversion. Conversion is an outcome measure. But what the holy grail is in understanding what inputs lead to higher conversion, you know, um, and because that's like if you if you can measure the inputs, you can get some sort of pattern, you can sort of predict it, then you can take action in such a way that you actually drive better outcomes. That's what people want. They want better outcomes. So so I think that's been a big interest of us is how we marry this like corpus of data we have around products um, to help companies take action to drive better outcomes. Um, and if you, to your question around how things change, yeah, they've changed. They've changed in that um, the market is now um, not just being receptive more to AI, it's almost demanding an AI strategy from a, a lot of companies. Now, the good news is we've been working on it for two years, so we weren't like flat-footed or we didn't have to like launch something from nothing. Um, but but we, we realized we had to be much more communicative around what our plans were because, you know, having a, you know, labs team doing, you know, working on the background isn't, you know, I, I think we realized we needed to be more front and center and more collaborative with customers and start really co-creating with customers more than we were before. The second thing it's added is, of course, you have this um, um, introduction of all these large language models. So that if you start combining LLMs, large language models, with with our models, which are more based on product usage data, like a different set of data, you can start um, marrying the usage for pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting techniques like generating campaigns from scratch, you know, so, so we, so our data will tell you like who to target in those campaigns and the LLMs can generating content. Like that's pretty interesting work. So it's like the combo of these various things open up uh, new applications, which are pretty cool. So when you talk about outcomes, um, in my experience, I, I spent a lot of time, I started in marketing and then increasingly spent a lot more time with product teams than, than I did in the past and often in a, in a growth role that kind of bridges uh, marketing and product. And I find growth and marketing teams are very outcome oriented and using data. Um, product teams often less so. A lot, a lot of times um, I'm, I'm seeing product teams sort of have a product vision and, and a roadmap and they're kind of working to that roadmap more you're starting to see them them actually uh you know look look for kind of data feedback with things but i'm i'm curious um even on the growth side i would say that uh that a lot of times people feel like tools are the answer on the growth side where um when i look at teams that are are not effective in executing growth it's it's often that they're just not they're they're not kind of following a process that that could effectively uh, help them drive continuous improvement of those outcomes. And so I'm curious, sort of where does where does sort of the tech and the process and the mindset where where do these things come together? Does does the tech lead to the mindset? Does the mindset uh, open the door to using the tech? What's what's kind of your 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 thought in uh, for particularly and and. Maybe one other question in there. Are you only selling to product teams or do you find growth teams also using the solution? Um, okay. A lot in Take there. them in whatever order you want. <laughs> so, um, so first off, uh, I do think the mindset drives the tech. 
So our mind cre- mindset creates the demand for the tech. Now, now if you have the mindset and you go realize very, very quickly you can't actually measure things, like i.e. you don't have the tools of the technology, then it'll block um, the change. But I do think it all starts with mindset. We had this really interesting slide in the company's history. I, I had it in one of my like keynote decks many years ago. It had that marketing has gone from mad men to math men. And we're talking, and, and, and you think about that, transition but that transition's happened it's done it's behind us so like the, the marketing function you know used to be very much uh very qualitative you know folks drinking whiskey and smoking cigars and building advertising campaigns was the like awesome uh, days uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no I, accountability pre my days um but um but now it's very different like if you're a marketer not using um, analytics yeah. and math to drive conversions you're you're, you're probably not winning um, in, in that function. And I, and I, and I think um, that transition, you know, while it happened for marketing, we're in the middle of it now for product, where most of my slides, board slides used to be like pretty screenshots of things I shipped or, you know, Gantt chart looking roadmap slides. Now we're talking a lot more about um, outcomes. We're talking about, hey, look, we're investing in our products to drive this behavior out of our customers. Maybe it's trying to increase stickiness. Maybe it's trying to increase the breadth of usage of the application to ultimately drive upsells. Maybe it's um, um, trying to broaden you know, seat usage because it's another driver of, 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 um, of uh, expansion revenue. Or maybe it's trying to retain customers more because we're having a retention issue. Independent of what it is, Everything we built, we're building should have a business case. That business case should be measurable. And we need to make sure from a mentality perspective, we're thinking about the outcomes in advance and then we're following up later and measuring and not just moving on to the next thing. And and the shift I see is is really that. Like we are done with this development area, this feature area, when we achieve certain outcomes versus we are done when we ship. So often, engineering and product, they, they ship something, they, um, and they have the party that day. We shipped. And my coaching always to our teams is like, that's not when you celebrate. You celebrate when people are actually achieving the outcomes with that feature that you would anticipate it. Because if you ship something and no one uses it, that's not winning. So, so I think, so that, that, and, but that to me is culture and it's mentality. And a large part of what I do now is when I work with some of our larger customers is helping teach the executives at those companies what to expect out of product. Because, because it, it all, again, it starts with culture. Um, and culture drives tech and tooling. But um, I think this is a big challenge. We're, we're in the middle of it. Um, but I think it's it's very, very important. It, do you have a services element to your business? Or is we it, do. Okay, got it. Yeah, We do. Um uh, light services, um, but we do, and, and I, I think it's going to become more important in the future, especially if we move more and more up market, um, because people need to change the way they're doing things. Um, now, I also want to touch on that one um, follow-on question of, yes, we work with growth teams, and yes, growth teams are sort of a hybrid team where you have marketing, product, and um, and others on a, on a single collaborative cross-functional team, and and um, and yeah, we, we love working with those teams. And, 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 um, I, I think that to me that the best growth teams are ones where they have a very experimentation driven mindset and we have our own growth team internally. Um, 
you know, like every quarter they're running three or four experiments and they have clear goals. Like we are trying to affect this number. Maybe it's some number in a funnel, maybe it's some number somewhere else. And they're going to have three or four things they're going to do. They're going to be measuring constantly that, that helps drive that, that, that metric. And if it, one thing doesn't work great, let's try the other thing. And, and I think that's the mentality you have to have. That, that's the other thing that I, I, we, we coach teams on. And I think it's so important is, is, if all of your experience experiments succeed, you are not pushing the boundaries enough. You have to make sure you have a culture where you it's uh, safe to fail, because only in a safe to fail culture will you actually try things that are game changers, needle movers, and and that's what I'm looking for. I want to I want to move needles. Like I, I don't want like you know incremental change. Great, good. But we want we want real change, and that, that takes taking risks. So, and are are you finding that uh, growth teams are becoming a bigger part of your business over time, or fairly consistent as a percentage of the business, or, or declining? It's growing, it's growing. And, uh-huh. I, and I think where it's growing is companies that are more traditional businesses are adding growth teams. They're changing the way um, they're doing business, and in part, it's because customers want to engage with vendors differently. You know, I think, I think back in the day, we all wanted to have a human being that, that held our hands and had, um, you know, a high level of service. Now, now we're actually, like our time is precious. We want more self-service. We want to do things um, at off hours, off times. We're busy people. You know, um, I want service when I want it. And it may not be nine to five. It may be on a weekend, but but in that sense, you need tools, technology, and growth. I mean, they're, they're I think different way to service customers. But it, to me, all of it's about meeting customers where they are. Yeah. Do you have um, just to make it a little more tangible for our audience? Do you have any like sort of customer stories that you can tell us about where it's where they're using Pento and you're seeing these outcomes um, in sort of unique and, and interesting ways? Yeah, we, we have lots. So um, uh, I, I won't name the company because I can't, but but we work with a very, very large um, financial services institution. And, you know, so there's a period of time, this is a few years ago, when when uh, you, you probably remember when there was all these um, meme-oriented stocks that were driving, like, just crazy amount of, like, fervor in the markets. And, and one of the companies involved with that was getting an influx of new users. Like when I say influx, like lots of new users. And the users were struggling to like get in and, and trade these stocks. They wanted like, it, like it was like, like a rabid time to like jump on this bandwagon. Um, and, um, and, but they were struggling and they started calling support and that started driving up costs. And so, so that company started working with us to find ways to to create more and better onboarding for this cohort of users. So when those users logged in and said, hey, if you're looking to buy, I don't know, GameStop or something to this effect, you know, go here, do this, do that, et cetera. And that had an incredible success rate for, for those users. And, and it was a form of product-led growth. It was like trying to find a way to smooth out that onboarding flow. Yes, it's a, it's a bit of cost savings because they didn't want to like in, you know inundate their their customer support teams, but it was more of a growth story and that like you're going to onboard, get these folks in, and get them trading like ASAP. So that's a I think a good example of of, of growth. Um, 
But, you know, I, I, I've heard other ones where it's just basic as like driving feature adoption of, of certain areas within your products. You know, um, we have a lot of customers that, that do that and could be a more advanced feature. Um, but, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty common uh, way people use us. So you, you mentioned you've mentioned product led growth a few times, and I think um, uh it's an interesting time in the, in the world, just, you know, capital markets are getting tighter. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of changes going on. Do you think, uh, because of that, like teams need to really lean into the, the types of services that Pendo does and like, what, how do you think companies today can get the most out of services like yours? Um, well, it is, it is interesting time. I want to confirm that. And, and <laughs> um, I, I, I think now, Look, there's been great case studies of product-led growth for a while. Like this is not like just just something that just showed up, but um, particularly within this uh, economy within tech, where access to free capital is just you know it, it's just harder than it was before, or maybe it's more expensive. So um, you know, value valuations have come down, multiples come down, so it's just more expensive to raise capital. So people are trying to find ways to essentially. Um, be more efficient in, in ha- and how they go to market and how they run their business. And, and actually, you know, I think we're going to see a really good example of that. We already saw it with Clavio's, you know, um, S1 being published. And I think they're, they're imminently going public. Um, and if you look at their metrics, it's all on the back of PLG and they are very, very, very impressive. So I think, I think that story is going to give more and more um, press for the importance of PLG, um, for for the health of, of businesses, so, so I think um, so. Yeah, I've seen we've seen an increase in demand, and I, and I think um, you're going to continue to see that, and especially as more and more companies have better case studies for for what it means for their business. So when when companies so i am a big believer in product led growth, and and I think it's it's part of the same theme that that got growth hacking going uh, more on the consumer side than the kind of business to business side. But, but ultimately it's about, it's about, you know, experiment driven, outcome driven uh, experiences in the product. And you, and you can usually do more with tech than you can with a, with a, with a touch model. I'm curious though, when you, when you look at PLG, what are the, what are the areas that you, you see people struggling with and, and how can they get more, out of it than, uh, than just kind of like, uh, surface level stuff, maybe that, uh, that are the, are the low hanging fruit that people think about, but where, you know, how, how do they maybe get more out of a product led motion? Well, look, I, I think, uh, a lot more of my experience is probably in the B2B world than the B2C world. So I, I, I guess, uh, there's a lot of challenges there. So maybe I'll speak more notably to those. Um, um, but I think, I think conflict with your sales team is probably the number one thing because nearly every company is PLG also probably has some complementary sales team and it's really, really hard. Um, and you either have two worlds, one world where you started at PLG and you added a sales team and what that means culturally, or you had a sales team and you added PLG. That, and that's, I, I'll be honest, I have a lot of experience in that latter model. And that is really, really hard because you have existing norms, existing way of doing business. Heck, you have systems issues you probably didn't anticipate um, on both angles because um, if you're having any sort of sales model, you probably have a CRM and 
let's be honest, it's probably salesforce.com. Like that's the most dominant CRM um, today. And you got to figure out how to like connect all that infrastructure with all the PLG infrastructure, which, you know, is probably homegrown or it's probably within the product. You have these things connected, like one group has to know what the other group's doing. So you don't potentially double message a user or call someone that's already like, there's a lot of complexity there that people just don't talk about. And it's not sexy stuff. It's like integrating systems and making sure things work. Um, we spent years doing that internally, years trying to make sure all these systems are connected. So like there's a single model and it is really, really, really hard. And then when you have humans involved, like um, you're going to have one-off deals, you're going to have different exceptions. Like it's, it's, it's capacity where nothing, that would never happen in a PLG world because like everything has to like tie back some discount code. Like it's very tight. Um, but when you have um, humans involved, it's a lot less tight. So I think that to me is that, that culture change is, is one of the, the biggest challenges. Um, the other thing, uh, so th that's one of the, the other big question I get for PLG is where do I start? It's, oh, my sales team won't let me do like self-serve online or, or sell online. So where do I start? So we, we do promote things like product-led customer success, which is like a, uh, the more post-sales side. You know, um, a, a lot of companies have whole teams of people in their in their company called customer success whose sole job it is is kind of like teach people how to use the product. Where I always think like, look, if the product requires a team of people to teach them how to use it, like, is that a good product? Probably not. Um, so, so you really, you want a world where the product is teaching people how to use itself and the customer success folks can be more focused on strategic outcomes for those yeah. businesses. So, so I, I think we, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like, you know, you touched on before like product, uh, product feature releases and that feedback loop on a product feature release to try to drive, you know, awareness of it and then, uh, adoption and, and engagement around a feature. Do you feel like that's, that's part, or that should be part of product led growth? Um, and most people see it that way, or do you feel like that's outside that most people, when they talk about product led growth, that's really more of the, of that new customer, uh, acquisition and conversion is what they're focused on. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think I think every time you ship everything, you should be thinking about how to drive growth or why are you building it. So so um, and, and sometimes you build things because you actually want to be more efficient or save company money. But if no one uses that thing, you're actually not driving efficiency. I, actually, I was um, actually the customer was on stage last year, so I can tell this story. But yeah, you know, we we're, were working with Morgan Stanley and. and and um, they have all these reporting features for one of their like employee share share stock option portal. And they learned through using Pendo and gathering metrics that their customers are big ones weren't using these advanced reports. And the usage of advanced reports would actually save the customer tons of time and help drive a higher ROI back, but they weren't doing it. Um, so so they, that data then drove the insight to um, help have a combination of in-app campaigns and, and reach outs, like get people to use the things that actually drive the efficiency. So that's, that's like the interesting learning. So, so even if you're trying to save people time, sometimes you save people time by using the product in different ways. And that may be the thesis for behind why you're building it. But yeah, everything you're building should have, um, should have a business case, should have a why, should have a set of outcome measures. Um, and, you should be holding people accountable to those things. And, and yeah, it, it, 
and this is like the future. The future isn't some standalone growth team. The future is every PM's thinking about growth. And it should be. And it shouldn't be like a separate thing or a different thing. I mean, it's a, a company wide mindset, ideally. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're all driving growth here. And look, yeah. I think that's something that's a mantra. I, I, I internally, I, like, as I say, we're all here to drive growth. I mean, and you look at just tech companies in general, or actually any company in general, they're getting valued based on growth multiples. Right. <laughs> so growth matters, like yeah, in, yeah. in our industry, like way more than almost any other. But, but you know, I think, but it's, it's a mindset. We're all yeah. here to drive growth. And even, even when product teams uh, kind of have that perception that, uh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, my job is to build a great product and someone else can focus on growth. I, my, my thinking is always like a great product that doesn't get used is not a great product. It's, it's just a, it's just shelfware and, and that, that ultimately impact, impact against the customer needs requires you to both build a great product and to get lots of people using it in the right way. And if you're not growth focused, then it's not a great product. It's just, it's just something that's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it a data max, a great product that no one used. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. I'm to date myself again, but <laughs> <laughs> Go even, yeah, Newton would be another one back in those days. <laughs> Ethan, but you had I, a question? Yeah, I, yeah. No, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think so much of this still comes down to, to culture. Your, your comment before about, uh, you know, today it's, it's not really just PLG or sales led. There's usually, it's usually becoming a hybrid at some point. And this, this is something we actually, it's funny cause it, it reminded me the last time we really dug into this was, um, was probably a little, probably a year and a half ago, Sean. Um, but we talked to, I guess you might, you might consider them on the competitive side to Pendo, but a company called Chameleon. And he was saying that the CEO of Chameleon was saying when he started his company, PLG was all the rage. He was, they were going to be a PLG company. And, you know, six months later, a year later, they're like, we're running out of money. And they moved into, to, to become sales led. Um, and we were at the same time chatting with another company. Um, and they had gone from really killing it with PLG. They said now to really, to tackle the larger market, we've got to, we've got to become, we've got to add a, um, a sales led motion too. And I think companies suffer, as you're saying, I think they really suffer in that transition because just because you're good at selling your product through PLG doesn't mean you have any idea how to do traditional sales. Um, and I'm not sure traditional sales is even the right word at that point, because I think it becomes more of like a customer success motion at that point. Um, and and so, so much of this comes down to culture. And I think that's where, you know, Tools like Pendo are, are super important, but tools like Pendo or any other tool in a vacuum without that culture um, is just going to lead to new challenges, right? Yeah. I think you touched on a, a lot in your question, which I think is one of the other biggest challenges with PLG, is that um, it feels like very often when people talk about it, people don't realize it's a spectrum. They think it's binary, one or zero. You're either doing all these things or none of these things. And yeah, I'll use our story because our story is pretty interesting. It's actually a bit similar to the Canadian story. We just did it probably years and years earlier. But um, yeah, originally when it came out of the gate, I was like, hmm, you know, we're going to sell other startups. We're going to be PLG. You know, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be super efficient. You know, we're just going to put it out there. People are going to come to us and we're just going to buy and, you know, collect revenue. And, and um, that didn't work at first. And this was like, go back to 2014, 2015. Uh, it didn't work. And, and what I started to realize that the time it took for us to sell to a small company was about equivalent to the ones that the time it took to sell to a bigger company. We just got like 10 times more money from the bigger companies. 
And I was like, this is madness. Why the hell would I waste my time spending all this time selling a small company? And um, I get one-tenth the money that I sell this. Because the, the market then, you got to go back to like 2014. The market for what we did hardly existed. Like the companies you mentioned, like that it's like quasi in our space, were all way smaller. If, if, if just starting, some of them didn't exist. Some of the communities existed back then in 2014. So as an example, so, so we had to build this category and building a category is all about building awareness. And I think it's very hard in PLG to build awareness and educate people. It's hard to educate people through a website. Uh, maybe it's people's attention span. Need. Um, so anyway, it's hard. Um, but having said that, so we added in sales very early, very early. Um, and we took off. We took off. Now, within that sales cycle, 80 to 90% of the people tried the product. 80 to 90% of the people, I just closed one business, excuse me. So, so if everyone is trying the product and everyone experiencing, how is that not product-led growth? Because we knew that if someone didn't try the product, they probably wouldn't buy Pendo. So if the product was terrible and it didn't do what it was supposed to do, we would not close business. So, so now a sales human was involved and a sales human transacted it. So it wasn't like a credit card purchase online. So because it wasn't credit card purchase online, we're not PLG. We, we don't get the credit for it, even though everyone tried the product and the product itself works. It's too binary for, for my take. So this is why in tech, everything's a little bit gray. Um, you know, we, you, you, you know, and I've said this all along, like we, we've been very much a product led business since day one, even though we haven't had a credit card swipe on our, on our website. Now we do have credit card swipes on our website and we have, you know, credit card upgrades and all sorts of other things. Um, but, um, but yeah, like if our product wasn't good and people are doing that many trials, like it would have come through pretty quick. Right. Um, and it's very, very easy to use. So, so I think, um, so yeah, I, I, I think. There are a lot of shades of gray here, and it's important as an industry that we don't alienate people that are taking areas of like the overall go-to-market. Or, or I look at the, the customer journey. Every company can look at the entire customer journey from how you acquire that customer, to how you um, teach and educate that customer with your products to convert, to then how you um, service those customers and then ultimately renew and expand. Look at that whole journey and figure out what areas can you use product-led growth or product-led techniques? And then tackle each piece one by one. Don't look at it as it's all or nothing proposition or, it's, or, or you're going to fail. So. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And so you you talked about you started kind of smaller businesses and you worked and then you quickly realized that the same amount of work was required for the for the 10x revenue businesses. Where where does it come out today? Are you What's, what's sort of the range of, of kind of business sizes that you service today? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, roughly a third, a third, a third SMB bid market enterprise. I, I will say enterprise is um, growing a bit faster now. So, like, I, I think, I think and that could be just Series A funding is down, and, and um, at least North America. So, I think, I think our, our startup business is probably a little more affected this year. But, but um, okay. So, when you say uh, SMB, that that includes startups. I, I know it's like I've, I've seen sort of technical definitions of SMB, and it's like companies that are five hundred people or more. So, SMB, it's under a hundred employees. Is okay. what I, that's our definition. So, okay. under a hundred. Um, we still have a lot of companies under 100 using us, and then okay. we have 100 to to geez, our enterprise cutoffs like 2,500 or 5,000 employees, and then we have you know companies 5,000 above. Yeah, we have some of the largest yeah, companies yeah. in the world 
using us. So it sounds like a pretty pretty wide footprint in terms of of the types of companies that can benefit. Yeah, and I think it's really important. You know, I, I've said this, like another right, another probably podcast, another conversation. So I, I think these small companies keep you nimble and they make your product great. Like a five person startup paying us ten thousand dollars. That's a big expense for a five or ten person company. They're demanding. I love it. I like bring it on. Give me the feedback. You know, and it and it, it um it can be humbling at times, but but I I I think um they often catch things that our large enterprises wouldn't catch for like a year in the product. So it does make our product a lot stronger. That's awesome. So we're getting uh getting tight on time here. So we like to to end with with one uh question typically and um you can go anywhere you want with this, but I do think that that uh, AI in particular is is uh, a theme that you touched on early and and one that's sort of uh, impacting how everyone does things a little differently. But um, go there if you want to or, or wherever. But when you think about what you understand about growth, particularly in your business and your business has been around 10 plus years, 10 ish years, um, what do you feel like just if, even in the last few years that you understand about growth now that maybe you didn't understand just a few years ago? Um, well, geez, now in particular, it's a pretty interesting time to think about growth and how you drive growth. And, and, and one, I, don't, I didn't probably appreciate how good of economy we're in um, a few years ago with like, like the, the impact of very low interest rates and lots of free capital meant tremendous amount of inbound demand. Um, I think there was a time when there's so much demand that a, a big part of our jobs just keeping up with what was going on. And like you, you have these terms like hyper growth and things like that. And, um, you know, I, 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 we sort of expect that was going to be the case for, for a longer period of time. Now um, it's different. You have to go manufacture a little more. You have to be smarter. You have to um, not just think about growth in terms of, okay, I'm going to just go capture any and all things, but I need to do it efficiently. So I think what I, I think a lot more about now is how do I efficiently drive growth or more efficiently drive growth and how to like, um, and how do I look at it in a more formalized manner? So, so when I think about growth now, we look at it in terms of we have a set of geographies we can attack. We have a set of potential channels we can attack, either direct or indirect, PLG being also one of them, is, I think, if it's a channel. Then we have product bets, which are like each of these products you know, need to drive growth in certain areas. And we have a thesis for each one of these different levers. And at any given time, we're running you know, experiments on – 10 to 12 levers, all of which are trying to inflect. And I, I think about growth much more um, uh, in a much more organized and formal fashion today than, than, than what I did before. And look, AI is a growth lever. There's a thesis for like, it's not just like AI for AI's sake. I, I think there are some companies that are doing that. Um, but I think from our perspective is, hey, how is AI going to drive growth for us? How's AI going to drive growth for our customers? And how do we, and how do we package up um, uh, capabilities leveraging this technology to then go help them. Um, but I, I think of growth, you know, much more in a much more organized fashion before where I felt like a lot of which was keeping up with growth. Yeah. I think to just, just, uh, kind of add a little bit for context on my own experience to sort of, uh, growth and, and startup success in a, in a tight fundraising kind of, uh, situation versus when money's flowing freely Interestingly for me, my, my biggest successes all got traction in, in tough times. Like log me in, we were early 2000s after the dot-com meltdown. No one wanted to, to touch startups. 
Dropbox, I was there in 2008, like right around the time that, uh, that, uh, you got, uh, Sequoia putting out RIP good times. And I think that just meant that we had to be a lot more disciplined about growth and, and make every dollar count and every ounce of effort count and be focused on what truly matters when it matters. And so I personally like executing in the, in the times where you need that, that discipline and, um, and so for, for anyone who's like, oh man, I wish I was able to do this in the good times. I actually think you, you build better skills, uh, as an individual and as a company in, in times like this. So, uh, yeah. hopefully you're a good Absolutely. testament to that. <laughs> yeah. I, and I love it as well. So, um, I love it as well. And, and it, you know, it forces you to, to, to be smarter and, 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 um, uh, be more thoughtful in the bets you're actually making. So I, I think it's great too. But I, I think it also drives a, a smarter future, right? I mean, if you think about like, you know, our, Sean, our early days, you know, at, it wasn't about, you know, you, I think were pushing for a more data-driven approach, but I think after the dot-com bubble burst, uh, the companies that did come out of that and survive the, the log ends of that, they had to be more data-driven and more, more, and more thoughtful about these things, but that pendulum never swung back, right? Like there is no, there is no going back now. We will not be a less data-driven you know, in the next good economy, we won't be less data driven. We'll be more data driven because, um, I like it's one place where I don't think it's a pendulum swing. I think it's just we keep getting better at how we do this, and it sets a new normal for everyone. So I think it's I think it's a very exciting time. It's really really interesting to speak to you, um, particularly right now, uh, Todd, yeah. and, and learn about what you're doing and where where this is going. Yeah, Todd's got a hard stop, so we better wrap things up. So, Todd, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to bring us up to speed on Pendo and, and to really understand how you guys are approaching growth. And to everyone tuning in, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.